You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. It is great to see you again today. I just wanted to take a moment at the outset to just reiterate how grateful we are to you, to the the folks in this church. You've been so welcoming to us and so kind. I mean, you don't know us really from a hole in the wall like a few weeks ago. We didn't really know each other at all. And yet you have been so kind to us and welcoming. And and I just want to just tell you thank you for that and to, uh, to encourage you to let you know how grateful uh, that we are. It's been a, a real joy getting to meet some of you and to, and to know some of you. A special joy for me to get to know our staff and to start working with the elders. You know, there, you got, there are some tremendous people here. you got some A-listers in this church serving in ministry, serving in leadership, and it's just, I'm excited about not only getting to know them better, but also continuing to work together as we strive forward together as a local church. And in speaking of getting to know people, this past week, uh, from Tuesday through Thursday, I had the pleasure of going to a pastor's retreat uh, for the, all the Canadian GCC pastors in Oakville. And uh, I know, I'm not even two weeks on the job and I'm off to retreat, right? Doesn't seem, doesn't seem quite right. But anyway, I didn't schedule it then. That's just when it was. And I just got to tell you, it was a special joy for me to be able to meet all of the Canadian pastors, every GCC pastor in Canada was there, all the senior pastors. And it was just, a, it was phenomenal to meet them and also to just get a glimpse into what it is that God is doing across the country through this this little network called the Great Commission Collective. It's exciting. God is at work in powerful ways. And I was so glad to be able to hear some of that and begin to, to build some relationships. I knew going in, I already knew uh, just a few of the pastors, but most of them I had never met before. They were just like you. They were so kind to me, welcoming, affirming. You know, they've been praying, many of them have been praying for you, for this church. And uh, so I was able to just encourage them and tell them a bit about what I'm seeing that God is doing here and, and some of how we got uh, brought together by the Lord. So anyway, just a great week. And uh, yeah, I know, two weeks in, I got a retreat, but hey, it's great. I feel refreshed and I feel excited. I'm excited about what God is, is doing in Canada. I'm excited about what he's doing here in this church and looking forward to seeing what he has for us next. Now, Lord willing, a week from now, I'm going to start a new teaching series, a New Testament study with you. But this morning, I want to do just one more standalone message on a subject that I, I know is important in this church, and really it needs to be important for all of us, It's because it's critically vital for us as we move forward together in faith as a church family. Earlier this year, uh, there's, there's this couple that Leanne and I know, uh, we know well, who are, they are in their, their senior years, they're in their sort of their mid-80s, mid to late 80s, and they have been uh, faithful, fruitful servants of Christ for decades. And I mean, they've been a special blessing to us for many reasons. But earlier this year, uh, I reached out to them because I wanted, I wanted to ask them this question. I asked them, what has kept you through all these years? What has kept you anchored in the faith? What is it? What has kept you anchored in the faith? Like, what has kept you going in the Lord, faithful and fruitful? What What have been some key factors in your life that have helped you to stay faithful to the Lord and to be effective servants? It didn't take them any time at all before they answered me, and they said, "There's two things. Number one, the Word of God." So the Word of God has been for us an anchor and, and a light for our path. It's been, it's been vital to regularly, daily be in God's Word. It's, it's been an anchor for us. The second thing is, well, what do you think the second thing was? Any guesses? Prayer. prayer. You're, you're right. Exactly. How did you guess? It's right. It's prayer. Well, my guess is that you know, some of you know, that prayer is vital. The Word of God and prayer. Now, look, there's lots of things we can say about the Word of God, and we will say about it. We'll be studying the Word of God together regularly. But I wanted to take this morning to discuss, to talk about, and to study together the, the subject of prayer. Prayer, if you think about it, to pray is an awesome privilege. I mean, just think about what it is. 
what we're doing. When we pray, we are talking to God. Just think about that. We're talking to God, the, the sovereign one. The one who alone is immortal. He, he's, he's eternal, I should say. He is immortal. He dwells, Paul says, in unapproachable light. And yet when we pray, we approach him. We draw near to him and we praise him and we ask him for things. We present requests before him. And wonder of wonders, we've got this great and awesome God who we're talking to. And because of Christ, in Christ, he welcomes us. In fact, he, he tells us to pray. And so we can draw near to him and talk to him and he listens to us. God listens. You, you think about you, you get something of the privilege of this. And not only does he listen, he's inclined to answer. It's, it's astonishing if you think about what it is to pray. Many of you would testify, yeah, it is a great privilege. But many of us can also testify that as much as it is a privilege, it's also a problem when it comes to doing it consistently. To pray persistently, to pray with constancy, to keep on praying. We know that we have a sense, many of us who've been in the faith any length of time, we have a sense of the, the fact that prayer is a privilege. But so often it's a problem for us to keep on praying, to be faithful in prayer, to be persistent in it. It's, it's not easy. In fact, for some of you, if I asked you, you know, tell me a major frustration of yours in your Christian life, many of you would say, my prayer life. If I'm honest, it's, it's my prayers. And you should know you're not alone. There's uh, someone who said that if you ever want to humble a believer, just ask them about their prayer life. And many of us can resonate with that. But like, yeah, it's, it's, please don't look there. Please don't look there. Because many of us struggle when it comes to praying persistently. Now, this, this is a common problem. You should know that. If misery loves company, it's a common problem. But it's not a new problem. In fact, Jesus himself addressed it with his disciples. He, he addressed it in our scripture text today. We're going to see that he addressed this issue with his disciples about the problem of persisting in prayer. But not only did he expose the problem and identify it, he gives us help to overcome it. And that's what I want to show you today. I want to, listen, to go with you to Jesus and to hear from him what he has to say that will help us to get over what feels like a hurdle when it comes to persisting in prayer. All right, so let, let's go in God's word to Luke chapter 18, right? Luke chapter 18, and we're going to study together verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 1 to 8, the title of my sermon is Pray and Don't Give Up. All right, don't stop, just keep praying, or you could call it, I actually, I think I should have called it Pray and Keep On Praying. I like that better, but whatever, I gave them my title and it's done, it's sealed, so you can make that pray and keep on praying, or pray and don't give up. But you get the idea, right? There's no surprises where we're going this morning, talking about praying and keeping on praying. Now, in the context here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus has actually been talking about his second coming. He would go away from his disciples and ascend to heaven, but one day would come back. And every Christian, every follower of Jesus, we are, we are looking to the return of Jesus. Amen. We're looking to his return. He promised he'd return, but he made very clear that the interval between his going and his returning would not be easy for us. In fact, he made it very clear to his disciples that it would be marked a time marked by troubles and trials and tribulations. We'd face opposition and uh, injustice and hardship of, of all kinds. And, uh, well, really, that, this, that time that we're in right now, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And what, isn't he right? I and mean, we've got troubles. We've got all kinds of problems, all kinds of challenges. It's going to be difficult. The question that, that raises is, well, how are we to manage this? I mean, how are we to handle it? How do we press on in light of the fact that life, even in Christ, is going to be incredibly hard? Well, how we do it, a key to persisting in faith is persisting in prayer. And that's what he talks about here in Luke chapter 18. Notice what he says in verse 1. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray 
and not lose heart. So he's, he's going to tell them a parable here. You know what a parable is, right? It's a, it's a story that Jesus made up to make a point. And so he's going to tell them a parable, and the purpose of that parable is that they would always pray, right? So why is, why is he going to tell us this? Because he wants you and I to be prayerful, to be constant in prayer, to keep on praying, and not only keep on praying, but not what? Not lose heart. You see, that's, that's what happens to us, isn't it? We pray, but then we lose heart, and we don't keep on praying. So let, let's get this main point down here. We'll look at the parable in a moment. Let's just get the main point. Pray persistently. Christ calls us to it. Jesus calls us to it, to pray persistently. He says that the, the, the purpose of this text is that we ought always to pray, always, continuously, in all times, in all seasons, in all situations, in all circumstances, in all occasions, to keep on praying. That's a call, Harvest Niagara. That's what we're called to, to pray, to keep on praying, and to not lose heart. I mean, when you lose heart, what happens? You kind of, you get discouraged, don't you? You, you kind of, I mean, you were, you were into it, and you were going for it, and then you're like, ah, I just can't, can't keep up. You kind of give up. You, you quit. You stop. Well, this text is given so that we would always pray and not lose heart. Got me to thinking about why is it that we so often lose heart in prayer? I think there's a lot, I think there's more reasons that I've written down, but I wrote down a few. I think one reason that we lose heart in prayer is because of impatience. Impatience. Like, we pray, and then we don't see immediate answers, and our passion kind of cools, and our persistence wanes. Impatience. Another reason I think we sometimes lose heart is because of independence. By that I mean thinking of prayer as something that we primarily or only do just on our, on our own, ourselves. So often in the New Testament, we see prayer as being something we do with others in the context of church, of local church. And that's one of the great, one of the great things about being in a small group is praying together. And what happens when you get together and pray is you encourage each other in prayer. First of all, you pray, and then you encourage each other in prayer. And I mean, this week, meeting with these pastors from across Canada, we spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time praying, many, many times of prayers, praying in small groups, praying together as a group, a lot of time praying. You know what happens when you hear, when you're praying with others? I mean, you get encouraged to pray, and you hear them pray, and it encourages you, like, I never even thought, but that's exactly what I need to pray, Lord, too, and amen to that, and you encourage each other. I think one of the reasons we lose heart is, one, impatience, but another is independence. A third reason we lose heart when it comes to prayer is worldliness, worldliness. Our hearts become so consumed with secondary things, worldly things, temporal things, that it takes up all the oxygen in there that we become suffocated, as it were, in relation to the things of God. We become unconcerned about the things of the Lord, or we grow cold, uncaring. God's priorities are not our priorities because we've got other priorities. Worldliness. Fourth reason we lose heart is, I think this is a big one, disappointment. Disappointment. I prayed. I believed that God would hear me and God would answer me. And it's like he didn't. Some of you would say, Ross, you have no idea. I have been praying for years. God still hasn't answered. And that sense of disappointment comes in. Maybe it's to do with your finances or relationships or your health. And you just wonder, is God, are you there? Do you care? You know, the prophet Jeremiah went through that exact thing. Lamentations 3 and 7, he said, Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. You ever felt like that? Prophet Jeremiah did. It's like the people down at the church, they say, well, you should pray about that. But what they don't get is that I have been praying. I just can't get through. He doesn't hear me, it seems. And so we get to wondering, does he even listen? 
Does it even make a difference? Why bother? Disappointment. One more reason I wrote down is unbelief. Unbelief. We would say that God answers prayer. But in our prayerlessness, it's evident there's a kind of functional atheism going on where we're not sure that God really does answer prayer. We don't really believe it. And so we lose heart when it comes to prayer. Now you might say, well, Ross, this is, this is kind of heavy, and we'll remind you it is only your second week making us feel like this. I hope, though, that you sense that I'm not trying to give you a hard time, but I am trying to be honest in identifying some of the reasons that we lose heart. I wonder if any of these reasons are familiar to you. It begs the question, of course, what do we do about that? How, how do we overcome this? Christ calls us to pray persistently, but the problem is, is it just feel like I, I can't. I've tried so many times to be a prayerful person, and I just can't get over that. How, how do I, what do I do? Well, Jesus shows us what to do. He, pray persistently. Christ calls us to it. Now, in verses 2 to 8, he shows us how to do it. Shows us how to do it. Now, how, he shows us how to do it in the context of a parable. Okay, now this is where it gets fun. Because Jesus is going to tell us a story, and it's a great story. It says in verse 2, he said, this is Jesus speaking. He said, in a certain city there was a judge, or like a local ruler or magistrate. Okay, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So what kind of a person is this? Not a very nice person, right? He's not really the person you want to hang out with. He doesn't believe in God and he doesn't like people, right? Now, some of you know people like that. Well, this is this guy, right? He doesn't believe in God, doesn't like people. And um, so what kind of a ruler he's going to be? Probably not a good one. And neither feared God nor respected men. Now, verse 3, we meet somebody else. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, we, we're wise to, to stop and to note here that Jesus has made the protagonist of the story a widow. Now, this is important because in the context here, in this ancient context, his, his hearers would have recognized, the disciples would have immediate, immediately recognized that this is a woman, this is a person with no leverage. She's got no, no leverage. In the context, in the ancient context, she would have been far better off if she had a husband or an engaged father, or a father who's engaged in her life to fight this battle for her. But she is on her own. And in the context, she's got zero leverage. The only thing she's got, the one thing she's got, is persistence. That's what happens, right? Notice. Verse, the end of verse 3, she says, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for a while, he refused. Like, go away, scram. I don't want to hear you. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, some of you, if you have the NIV in your hand, it, it renders it to, to seem like the guy was afraid that, listen, she's getting so agitated here, she's going to hurt me. And, um, I mean, that may be the case. It seems more likely, though, to me that the, the idea here is this person, this woman, is driving him crazy. And he's like, I don't do what she's asking me. She's going to drive me bonkers. I can't handle I just, just want her. The one thing in life I want is for her to go away. So what do I do to make her go away? I'll just do what she wants. Right? So you see what she's done? See what she's done? So she's being defrauded. We don't know what the issue is. Jesus says that she wanted justice for something. So she's being defrauded. Someone's cheating her. The law is on her side, but the person who's supposed to be enforcing the law is not. He won't do anything. So, and she's got no, no, nothing. She's poor, probably. She's got no means of bribing him. She's just, I've got nothing. The only thing I've got is... I'm just going to keep asking him. I'm going to keep asking. So she goes up day one. Hey, 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 there's this issue here. The neighbor, what do you mean go away? You haven't even heard my case yet. My neighbor, he's ripping me off, right? He's just built a, he's just taking my property and my stuff and just, no, I, I can't go away. You got it. Day two. 
hey, it's me again. Remember with the neighbors taking my stuff? Yeah, well, it's, he's still doing it, and he still hasn't said sorry. He still hasn't given it back, and I know he told me to go away, but you see, you haven't done anything about this. Okay, fine. Next day, hi, it's me again. Remember me? Remember the, the neighbor just defrauding me? Yeah, have you got a chance to look into that? I, I know you told me to go away. I know I'm bothering you, but you see, you're not doing anything to help me, and I would really like your help. In fact, I might be inclined to go away and leave you alone if you would help me. Okay, fine. Come back the next day. Hey, it's me again. Have you got to my file yet? In case you've forgotten, I've got... I know you know the case, but you haven't done anything. Day five. Hi, me again. Day six. Guess who? Day seven. I'm back. And every day that goes by, she keeps coming and coming and coming. And finally, he's like, go away, please. Fine, fine, fine. I'll do it. And she gets what she wants. It's brilliant. It's persistent. Now, understand that in Jesus' parable here, the widow represents the church. The widow represents, it's you and me. We are this person without recourse, save one. We suffer injustice, hardship, trials as we follow Jesus. But the widow kept coming seeking justice. Jesus places us, we we are that widow. And notice that her persistence affects the outcome. Right? So if you met her, you'd be like, hey, the judge ruled for your favor. How'd you, what, what happened? <laughs> I just kept going until he did it. It was her persistence affected the outcome. If she had quit and given up, it wouldn't have happened. Think about that. It would not have happened, but she kept going and got what she asked for. Notice what Jesus says in verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. So in other words, listen. Listen to what the unrighteous judge says. So what does he say? He said, verse 5, Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she'll not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Now, don't make the mistake that, you, that many people make when they read this text. They get the persistence of the widow, but they get all discombobulated when they look at this unrighteous judge and begin to think, so that's God. That's what God's like? Just wear God down, and he'd be like, fine, fine, okay. No more prayer meetings, please. Okay. Is that, no, that's not the picture. See, God, God is not the unrighteous judge. The unrighteous judge is a stark night and day contrast from the righteous judge. Jesus here is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if this unrighteous judge, who neither believes in God nor likes people, will concede, will give, what the, widow, give the widow what she wants because she persistently asked for it, then how much more will God give, respond, and answer his elect, his blood-bought sheep? God is, well, he, he, is a, he is not at all like the judge. He's night and day from the judge. If the persistence of the widow wears down the unrighteous judge, you can be sure that persistence prayer before a loving God will yield results. Jesus' point is that we're to pray persistently, but here he shows us how to do it. And he shows us how to do it by directing our attention to God himself. I think in this parable, it reveals to us at least two things about God and his character that propels us forward in prayer. You want to get over that hurdle of praying consistently? You notice how Jesus does not give here seven, seven ways to lick your prayer problems? He doesn't give us a pragmatic strategy, although I like pragmatic strategies. Some of them are helpful, but that's, it's, not, it's not going to give you victory over the spiritual struggle. What Jesus does in the face of the problem of persistent prayer is he points us to God himself and says, look at God and what he is like. In particular, he shows us, firstly, that God is good. How do we persist in prayer? Jesus shows us how to do it. We persist in prayer by believing in God's goodness, that God is good. We believe that. God here stands in stark contrast to the unrighteous judge. 
And he says, you know, if this scoundrel will relent to one's persistence, then how much more will God do for his elect? He will, he will respond. He will answer. The one who loves me, who saved me, who sanctified me. So in the face of need, loved ones in the face of discouragement, of disappointment, of being disheartened, when we struggle to pray, the fuel to the fire of your prayer is to look to God and to remember that God is good. Too often we impute on God what we see here in this unrighteous judge, like he's somehow reluctant or unwilling or just bothered by us. But that's not what God is like at all. Who told you that God was like that? God is good, and he's good to his people. He cares for his people. Listen to Romans 8.32. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not with him give us all things? What a statement about the love of God. I mean, since God gave up Jesus on the cross to save us, we can be confident that he will be good to us, that he cares. Or how about 1 Peter 5 and 7? It says, casting all your, we're to live our lives by casting all of our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for us. I love that word casting, right? Just, I just get this picture of throwing stuff. You usually think of a fishing rod, like, you know, casting, throw it out there. Will you do that with your burdens toward God. You got bur heavy burdens in your life, concerns, anxieties, fears. What are they? You name them before God and you cast them on him. Say, Lord, I, I, I can't bear up under this. You take it. Peter says, do that. Why should I do that? What, what good will it do? Because he cares for you. Do you know that, Christian? God in heaven cares for you. So give him your troubles in prayer. There's a man that, that I know who just sadly is suffering under this scourge of dementia. It's savage what it's doing to him. When you talk to him, uh, he does, doesn't remember my name. The last I talked to him, there was some kind of recognition there, but I know that he doesn't know me, even though we know each other. He's very quite nonverbal. He won't say much at all, and he feels safe and secure only when he's with his wife. But when I see him, every time I see him, he comes to life to say one thing. I'll come up to him, and I'll look at him, and I'll say, Felix, tell me about God. And it's like he comes to life, and his eyes light up, and he looks at me, and he'll say something like this, God is your everlasting father. And he calls us to cast with full conviction, like this. He calls us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Makes me think that if the Lord would ever have it for me to go down that road, oh Lord, only please let me remember, let me remember that. And I'm so blessed by it. He ministers to me and I don't even know if he's aware but now he's ministering to you <laughs> because it's true. He calls us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. See, God is not like the unrighteous judge. The unrighteous judge doesn't care. But God does. So cast your cares upon him. We persist in prayer by believing that God is good. We also persist in prayer by believing that God is faithful. That God's faithful. Notice what Jesus says about what God will do. Notice the certainty in Jesus' voice. He says, and will not, verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The implicit answer is yes. Will he delay long over them? No. I tell you. He will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. It's an, it's an awesome statement about the faithfulness of God, that he will swiftly, decisively act in answering the prayers 
of his people, and they will find relief, and they will find justice, and they will find vindication. Now, understand that I believe that God answers prayers all the time, all the time, and many of you can testify to seeing God's prayers answered. We, we've experienced some of that, us and and us as a church in terms of how we've got here. Like this answered prayers, God working and responding to our, our prayers. We see answered prayers all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I want to encourage you to pray because God does answer prayer. But notice the emphasis on God's faithfulness. I think in this context, Jesus has in mind people praying for his return. For his return. Because the context is of this text is he was talking about his own return. And the call here is for justice. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. What are they praying? I think they probably imagine them praying, Lord, come. Lord, come back. Lord, come soon. And just so you know, I'm not making this up. We see this in the New Testament. Revelation 22, verse 20, right near the end of Scripture. What's the prayer? The cry of God's people is, come, Lord Jesus. Or the martyrs in Revelation 6 and 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? See, they're longing for justice. They're longing for the return of Christ. They're longing for sin to be eradicated, for wrongs to be set right, for peace to be had and held and experienced forever. They're longing for that heavenly home, that everlasting joy, the, the eternal kingdom of God. They're longing for that. And what does Jesus say about God's faithfulness? He will do it. He will do it. It's going to happen. It's going to come. Loved ones, there's coming a day when your prayers will be answered. And then you will see, yeah, you answer prayer, God. You answer prayer. Just as an aside, it begs the question, why does God delay? Well, there's a lot of ways that we could answer that. But one answer I would point out to you is his patience. Peter says this, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. See, we pray and we wait and we wonder, God, where are you? Well, there's slowness, as you and I might define it, and then there's slowness in a whole other economy. He said, the Lord, is not, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why? not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, this is actually a pointed word for maybe some of you this morning. The good news of the gospel is that there is an offer of peace on the table today where you can have peace with God. But it's a limited time offer. The offer will be off the table in a day we don't know when. Today, Christ is yet to return, and the terms of peace are simply this, to lay down your rebellion, to humble yourself, or as we would say, repent, and to trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and a welcome into God's forever family. Why does God delay in the return of Christ? What is going on? Why do we languish that feel like we languish so? Well, one reason is because out of his patience, he wants people to, to be saved, to come to know him. But there will be a time when Jesus will return. Make no mistake about it. Christ will return, and there will be justice for his people. They will enter, we will enter our eternal reward. And like I said a moment ago, we will have full, final answers to our prayers. Imagine if you and I were in Iran today, or Iraq, and meeting secretly in a church, what a text like this would mean to us. Imagine if we were isolated in Somalia today, if we were facing blasphemy laws in Pakistan, as many Christians are. What a word this would be for us today, wouldn't it? But you know, you and I, we have our own challenges 
our own sufferings, our own trials, illnesses, setbacks, satanic attack, harsh opposition, frustration in ministry. We're often hurt by people. We're burdened for our family. We fall victim to discouragement. Really, anything that tests your faith and threatens your resolve to keep serving, to keep seeking, is a reality that we need to contend with. And to you, I'd say, loved one, remember that God is faithful. He's faithful. He's good and he's faithful. He will answer you. He will answer you. And it may even be a lot sooner than you think. And in ways you never imagined. Jesus here heralds the faithfulness of God as as a means of helping us to keep on praying. Why should I pray? Why should I keep praying? Because God is good. And God is faithful. And the the call and the implicit challenge in this text is to believe in him. To believe him that he is good and that he is faithful. And that's the fuel to the fire to keep me praying. Looking to God and believing, believing in him. I think of a person like William Tyndale, who back on October the 5th, 1536, at the age of 42, I'm 42, At the age of 42, he was strangled to death and burned at the stake because of his belief in the gospel and because of his life work of translating the scriptures into English. Tyndale is is really essentially the father of the English Bible. In Tyndale's day, there was really all that there was was Latin scriptures and and Latin Bibles, and and nobody had access to them. Nobody understood them in England. And um, there was one English translation that was done by Wycliffe, and it was a a hand uh, it was a hand copied Bible that was translated from Latin into English, um, but nothing from the original languages. And really, effectively, there was really no English Bible, and certainly not available to the people. Tyndale's life mission was to fix that and to translate the Bible into English. The problem was, was that it was illegal and punishable by death. But he went at it anyway. And in his life, he was able to to translate so much scripture. In fact, by the time that first printed English Bible was published, it's called the Great Bible. By the time it was first published, 70% of those scriptures were Tyndale's translating work. He gave his life to it. It cost him his life. On the day that he was executed, though, before they strangled him, he prayed a prayer that he had likely been praying for quite some time. And some of you know this prayer, right? Some of you know it. How many of you know the prayer, know what he prayed? Just slip your hand up real quick so you see. How many of you know what it is he prayed? What I meant to say is none of you know what he prayed. (laughs) Remember, it's illegal to translate scriptures into English, illegal to print them, illegal to distribute them. What did he pray? He said, Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. And then they strangled him to death and burned his body. Loved ones, within three years of Tyndale's death, the scriptures were not only translated and not only printed, but the king himself ordered that a copy of the English Bible be in every church and be read in every church. And we're not going to applaud Henry VIII because Henry VIII was not a good man. But what we do applaud is the true and living God who's good and faithful, who heard and answered Tyndale's prayer. Did he answer it in the timing that Tyndale had in mind? Probably not. Probably not. Did he answer it in the way that Tyndale had in mind? I doubt it. But he answered it emphatically. And not only did he answer Tyndale's immediate prayer, but think about the answer to prayer that Tyndale, that we would have no idea. How many of you today have an English Bible? You got a Bible with you? You got a Bible maybe at home on the shelf? You got one on your phone, right? You got one in your hand or on your phone. There's English Bibles everywhere. There's multiple translations in English. Can you imagine if you're a Tyndale, if he could come today and stand here in our midst, what he would be feeling about a God who answers prayer, about a God who's good, a God who's faithful? Be elated, overjoyed, wouldn't he? Does God answer prayer? Absolutely he does. Absolutely. The truth is that our prayers are not always answered when we want or in the way we want, but it doesn't change the fact that we have a God in heaven who's good and faithful and knows how to give good gifts to his elect. So, loved ones, 
Pray persistently. Christ calls us to it, and he shows us how to do it by firstly and foremostly looking to God and believing, believing, loved ones, that he is good, that he's faithful. Do you believe that? That's what's going to keep you praying. That's what's going to help you overcome that hurdle. Now, there's one more thing that Jesus does here, and that is that he reveals the importance of prayer. Pray persistently. Christ reveals the importance of it. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, do you notice something strange about this last, that last sentence in this text? Just look at it again and tell me if you see something strange about it. What is the subject of this passage? The subject is prayer, right? Right? It is that. Okay, good. Right? Because if you didn't know that, I'd be like, no, please. We have to start all over again. Yes, it's prayer, right? So the subject is prayer. And Jesus is after, he's, he's encouraged, teaching us to pray persistently. That's why he's giving us this message here, this parable, is so that we will pray persistently. And then he says at the end of the text, when the Son of Man comes, talking about himself, his own return, he asks this question, will he find, now what do you expect that he's going to say, he's going to ask, what will I find? I would have expected that he would say, when the Son of Man comes, will he find prayers on earth? Right? Because that's what he's talking about. I would have expected he would say, will I find people praying? I've talked about praying persistently. Here's the widow. And think about what God is like. God is like, now when I return, will I find you praying? That's what I would have thought. He would, anybody else thinking the same thing? Am I the only one? A few of you are like, yeah, you're probably like, I never even noticed that before. But it's right. I didn't notice it either until someone else pointed it out to me. I'm like, that is peculiar. So that makes us think. When Jesus says something we're not expecting, he makes us think about what is the point here? What's, what's he saying here? Why would he put it this way? I think that the, what this reveals to us is the importance of prayer. Namely, that there is a vital link between praying and believing. Between prayers and faith. We persevere in, we persevere in faith by persevering in prayer. See, when we pray, it is an expression, it's an exercising of our faith. How do you exercise your faith? How do you demonstrate your faith? One way you demonstrate your faith is by praying. When we keep on praying, we are declaring, God, we believe in you. We trust in you. We're looking to you. We're relying fully on you. It's a vital link. When you think about it this way, you realize the importance of it. Because God says in his word, and the most precious thing about us, people, is their faith. And so here we have this vital link. And it shows me something. that If we neglect to pray, then we're cutting off the air supply of such grace that we need in exercising our faith. Listen to what the Scripture says. Romans 12, 12, it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. In other words, endure suffering. Be constant in prayer. Notice how enduring hardship is right beside being constant in prayer. Because when we pray, it's an expression of our faith in God. And as we trust God, we persevere through hardship. You see how important persevering prayer is? What if we don't pray? Will we keep going? It seems unlikely. Do you see how important it is? It's sort of like this. A number of years ago, um, I was driving this old car that I had. Actually, it was my first car. It had a lot of problems. It was my first car. And I remember one, there was this humming sound I was hearing all the time. And every time I drive, every time I start, it's always this loud humming sound, humming sound, humming sound. Until one day, the humming stopped. And when the humming stopped, the car quit. The humming sound, it turns out, was my fuel pump. And it isn't supposed to hum like that. It was humming because it was on its way out. And when the fuel pump quit working, you know what happens to your car when the fuel pump quits working? That's right. Brian Baxter said this morning, she don't go. That's right. It don't go. That's right. It's done. Prayer is like the fuel pump of our Christian lives. 
It's an expression. It's an exercising of faith in God. And it's the means by which we approach him. Listen to, for, for the grace that we need in our lives. Listen to Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that is in prayer. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, prayer is the, the conduit by which God gives us needed mercy, needed help. Loved one, do you need help today, this week? Then you got to do it. You're going to get it through prayer. Let me close with this. There's a couple that we know that we, uh, who lead an organization in Haiti that Leanne and I have had the great privilege of being involved in. Uh, they've led this ministry. They started it up uh, back in about 2010, and or just before 2010. And um, it's just remarkable what God has done there. They've got this little parcel of land that they're leasing um, from the government. And on this land, it's a little two acres of land. Over these years, there has been a church planted. A school has started. It's a K-8 to school. There's a medical clinic that, that operates. They run a feeding program where every day they feed around about 300 children. And they also have a, a program of caring for widows in the community where they, they take meals daily to widows who have, they have no family, they have no recourse, so they're helping them out. Uh, they, it's a, a place for training pastors. It's a place where people come and study and learn English. And we're really where God's name is honored, where the gospel goes forward. It is, it's a thrilling thing for us to have been, to be involved in it and exciting to see how God is at work. And this couple that have started this, they are just, believe me, they're just ordinary people who love Jesus. They're just ordinary. If you think of yourself as an ordinary person, they're just like you. They love Jesus. And there's a picture that I saw one time, and I, I couldn't find it. I'm really sorry. It kind of takes away from the story, I guess. But there's this picture that I saw one time that a friend of mine had taken. He showed it to me. And it was a picture of this couple doing what they do every day. Every day they begin their day, they each read, the, they read their, the scriptures together, but on their own. And when they're done doing their Bible reading, they pull their chairs together, they sit side by side, facing away from anyone else's around, and they hold hands, and they pray. And I was looking at this picture, and I'm like, I just said to my friend Mike, I'm like, that is such a great picture, brother, that you took, such a great picture. And then he stopped me, and he said, Ross, that is the key to this ministry. This man, this woman, faithfully persisting in prayer. And you know what? It's not only the key to ministry in Haiti. It's the key to your marriage. It's key to your parenting. It's key to getting through high school. It's, it's key to making decisions. It, it's key to living faithfully and fruitfully in your life for the Lord. It's key for finding joy and discovering breakthroughs. It's key for life and for godliness is being in prayer before the Lord. Now, Jesus shows us how to do it, looking to God. But he leaves us with a sense of the importance of it, that it is in itself, it is an exercising of your faith. My challenge to you this morning, loved ones, is today... I want to ask you, will you do something intentional with regards to persisting in prayer in response to what Jesus has said? Something intentionally. You're like, what do you mean? I mean, don't just do nothing. Here's one very simple, practical step you can take today. Take out your calendar and mark down this Wednesday night for prayer and praise night. Mark it down in your calendar. I don't know about you. If it's not my calendar, I forget it's going on. It's got to be in the calendar. If I don't show up at your place when I'm supposed to, I probably forgot to put it in my calendar. Put it in your calendar. I'm going to be there. We're going to make way. We're gonna, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to be there. Because it's, we're going to take an, an intentional step about, to do something together that this church is known for doing. And that is to pray. We do, take an intentional step, or maybe it's another. Maybe it's something like this. Maybe it's if you're married, you and your spouse. If you've got a believing spouse, you'll have a conversation today about what are we going to do as husband and wife to be intentional about praying persistently. Maybe it's you're, you're going to pray at dinner time for more than just the food, not a long prayer because everybody will be die of hunger before you're done. But but we're going to pray for something more than just the food. 
We're going to pray. We're going to maybe pray before we leave in the morning. Leanne and I, what we do, this is real, real simple. Okay, real simple. This isn't spectacular. It's nothing worth hearing on its own. But every night, almost every night, before we go to sleep, we'll reach out, we'll hold hands, and we'll pray. It's nothing spectacular. It's a one, two-minute prayer. Praying what's on our hearts, praying for what's coming ahead. It's, we want to persist in prayer. Maybe you'll think about, your, think about your daily schedule. Where are there times when I can take a moment to pray? Do something intentional. Don't do what we often do is nothing. We, do something intentional today in response to what Jesus has said. In fact, why don't we just do something intentional right now? And let's pray. Father, as we think about this topic, many of us are humbled this morning because you know and we know that this is a struggle. We, our own fallenness, our, our own sinfulness is just evident in our prayerlessness, Lord. Our apathy concerns us. It frustrates us, Lord. Lord, we're touching on a sensitive, for some of us, a wearisome subject. But Lord, we can see that you've not left us on our own today. You've given us help, the best kind of help, help from you. You've shown us something about yourself, that you are good, that you are faithful. You've helped us to see something of the importance of this subject. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be consistent in prayer, to spur one another on to be praying. I pray that as we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts pray this for our families, for our marriages, for our single parents, Lord, that, that you would give them the grace that they need to, to be in prayer before you, Lord. Help them to, to, to learn to be talking to you and to not feel like the burden that they've got to pray something long and flowerly, Lord, but flowerly, but, but to be praying and be seeking, be dependent on you and encourage them in that, Lord. And us as a church, when we gather this Wednesday, we pray that we would pray, Lord, that we would pray, that we would be a church that just as we have been, that we would continue to be a church of unceasing prayer. Lord, we don't want to be on a, that just to be on a sign in the hallway. We want it to be what we are, a people of prayer, because you're a God who hears and answers prayer. And so, Lord, we just cry out for you. We cry out to you to come and to help us. And as we do, to build our faith as we look to you for the answers. In Jesus' name.